Thank you for joining us on Search for Truth. It's great to have your company. This week, our Bible teacher Brian brings us talk number four in our series called Increasing Our Christian Footprint as We Walk with God. Brian looks again into some events in the Old Testament of the Bible to compare how we can establish ourselves in our Christian faith by taking up spiritual arms in our spiritual warfare today. So, thank you, Brian. And thank you, John. As we've been learning in this series of studies, recent archaeological discoveries in the land of Israel have turned up a number of large stone circular enclosures that seem to have had sacred uses. Often, it was two circles, with the evidence showing that the two circles taken together looked very much like a sandal. The idea behind this was likely to symbolise the fulfilment of the promise that every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Perhaps there's a connection between this and with what we are told in the Bible book of Joshua, in chapter 6 in fact, of the capture of the city of Jericho. Jericho was the Bible city with its famous walls, of course. We read in the Bible that all the Israelite warriors were commanded to march around the city seven times. I wonder if this kind of ceremonial marching around the city might have indicated in the culture of those times, and especially to the inhabitants of Jericho, that the Israelites were laying claim to their city. After the seventh day of marching around the city, the Israelites invaded and captured the city, albeit with God's supernatural intervention. Marching around the city and setting up circles of stones in the shape of a giant sandal may both have been ways of claiming the promise God had given them that wherever they put their feet, that land would become theirs to possess. The basic meaning of the word Gilgal is the idea of rolling or of a wheel or of a circle. The name Gilgal has traditionally been associated with these stone circles that exist in and around the Holy Land. It's clear that a number of momentous things happened at the first place referred to in the Bible as Gilgal. But we've also discovered how, in ancient Israel, there were in fact many Gilgals, not just the first one near to Jericho. The first mentioned Gilgal, however, is very significant as the ancient campsite where God's 600-year-old promise to Abraham began its literal fulfilment as the children of Israel crossed the Jordan and placed their first official footprint in the promised land. And it's the place, as we've seen, where Joshua and the children of Israel first set up camp after crossing the Jordan, and where that generation of wilderness wanderers were circumcised, and where they celebrated Passover, eating their first unleavened bread in the promised land. But other instructive things happened to them at the same Gilgal. It was while the Israelites, under Joshua's leadership, were still based at Gilgal, that the Gibeonites worked their deception. You'll recall that God's specific command was for no treaties to be made with Israel's new neighbours. This was for the reason that those people would be corrupting influences, and so they had to be destroyed. Realising their peril, the Gibeonites presented themselves before Joshua, pretending to have come from a distant place. We read this in Joshua 9 and verse 6. They went to Joshua, to the camp at Gilgal, and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country, now therefore make a covenant with us. 
Joshua was gullible. Had he prayed and consulted with the Lord, this clever deception would have been exposed. But Joshua trusted his own judgment and took things at face value. He ended up making a deal with the Gibeonites, contrary to God's intention. It was only afterwards that he discovered he'd been conned, that these people lived a lot nearer to them than they'd claimed. What happened next is instructive. Upon discovery of his mistake, Joshua didn't declare the deal null and void, although it had been based on false premises. Although made an error, Joshua kept his word, for the leaders of the congregation had sworn an oath to these deceivers. It's even possible to see the hand of God in this, for these men were God-fearing, and they became servants to God's people to perform menial services in support of Israel's worship of the true God. Very soon, however, the pagan king of Jerusalem at that time, with four other kings, threatened the Gibeonites because they'd entered into agreement with the new invaders of the land of Canaan, the Israelites. Outnumbered and overwhelmed now, the men of Gibeon sent word to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal, saying, and we read this in chapter 10 of Joshua's book and verse 6, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites that live in the hill country have assembled against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the valiant warriors. So Joshua came upon the five attacking kings, suddenly, by marching all night from Gilgal. Then after defeating the kings in an epic battle, Joshua and all Israel with him returned to the camp to Gilgal. But the story continues and is very interesting. It shows us that when the Israelites captured kings as well as cities, trampling them underfoot was something that they did. The battle had been won, but the five enemy kings were still on the run. Chapter 10 continues, These five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave at Makeda. And Joshua said, Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. But do not stay there for yourselves. Pursue your enemies. Attack their rear guard. Do not let them enter their cities, for the Lord your God has given them into your hand. When Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished striking them with a great blow until they were wiped out, and when the remnant that remained of them had entered into the fortified cities, then all the people returned safe to Joshua in the camp at Makeda. Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me from the cave. And they did so and brought those five kings out to him from the cave. And when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. Then they came near and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. Put your feet on their necks, Joshua had ordered his warriors. Remember again the promise that every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. We encountered that first of all in Deuteronomy 11 and verse 24. Can we say that this doesn't apply here? Relating this to ourselves, one thing we are asked to do is to maintain unity and purity of doctrine. At Rome, 
in the church there, some people were causing divisions amongst the believers, and this was by introducing various false teachings, contrary to the standard and sound teaching of the New Testament as communicated by the Lord's apostles. Paul diagnosed this as the work of our main enemy, the devil, and added in Romans 16 and verse 20, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. After the similar wording, which we've just met in Joshua chapter 10, we go on to read later in that chapter, So Joshua and all Israel with him returned to the camp at Gilgal. As we'll see later in our studies, it was also to this same Gilgal that Joshua and the Israelite army returned after subduing the southern part of Canaan. The prophet Samuel was another who visited this Gilgal during his annual judicial circuit. And it was there that Saul prematurely offered sacrifices and was installed and later rejected as king in this same Gilgal. Following that, the people of Judah met King David at Gilgal and they helped him cross the Jordan to return to Jerusalem and retake the throne from his late son, Absalom. Finally, it was from there that Elijah and Elisha walked before Elijah was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. We'll look more closely at all these in other studies which follow God willing. But in concluding this one, let's just say that as fascinating as it is to speculate on these ancient circular and foot-shaped Gilgals in the Holy Land, it's of more benefit to make a spiritual application from the associated events relating Israel's experience in some way to our own journey. Israel were making this first Gilgal their bridgehead, their first base of operations from which to conquer the enemy in the land that they entered to possess. Thinking around that idea, what ground must we take in the Christian spiritual warfare? The apostles Paul and Peter spell it out for us. 2 Corinthians 10 For though we walk in the flesh... We are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And the Apostle Peter adds in 1 Peter 2 and verse 10, Now you have received mercy as aliens and strangers Abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behaviour excellent. So Christian discipleship is biblically described in terms of warfare and war, no less. What opinions and lusts do we need to trample underfoot?
Thanks, Brian, for your interesting talk. And once again, I remind everyone that there's a free transcript book for this series. And also, if you've got any questions, please write in and Brian will be glad to help. You can also download many of our books and talks via the internet, but the hard copy book for this series is available to you by asking for the title Increasing Our Christian Footprint. You can order by email or by post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. And you might be interested to know that many titles of Search for Truth transcript books have been turned into e-books and are available at amazon.co.uk forward slash kindle hyphen ebooks. Just type Search for Truth series into the search box and you'll find them. So that's all we have time for, but please do join us next week if you can, when Brian will be seeing how we can step out fully into doing the will of God. Until then, it's very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers, and me, John. So cheerio, and may God richly bless you. Soon shall my